0: There is uh, evil in the world. Sometimes we forget that. Here's a guy who I think thinks that there is evil in the world. It won't be long until the ice is off the lakes and we can go trout fishing again. There's something about first fishing trip of the spring that's almost magical. It's been so long, you're so anxious, and sometimes these two ingredients can spell Disaster. I remember going to a lake several years ago that had been closed to fishing for the winter. It was opening day and you could hardly see the water for the boats. Everyone in the world seemed to be there. There were tangled lines, people laughing and yelling, dogs barking, babies crying, and even a few trout were being caught. My partner and I decided that we were not brave enough to put our boat out into the water. Besides, it was more fun just to watch. We were about to see one of the greatest examples of opening day fishing fever that I have ever witnessed. He came roaring up to the lake in his new truck with his new boat and trailer. He quickly launched his boat, parked his new truck close to the water's edge, jumped into the gleaming new boat, and started yanking on the starter cord. All at once, the motor started with a roar. There was one minor problem. It was in gear and was quickly racing across the lake toward the shore. The sudden burst of speed had caught the poor fellow off balance and he fell to the bottom of the boat. Rods and tackle flew in all directions. From where we stood, all we could see were white knuckles hanging onto the sides of the boat and two greatly enlarged eyeballs. There was a good reason for the size of those eyeballs. The new truck and the new boat and the new big eyeballs were about to have an intimate encounter. The new boat hit the shore at full throttle, made a little jump, and buried itself in the grill of the new truck. The motor stopped. The eyeballs didn't. They and everything connected to them landed on the hood and slid up to the windshield. Never before had a man made such a close inspection of his windshield wipers. Amazingly, he was not badly hurt. His other possessions were not so lucky. They each had several new features now. There was a redesigned grill on his brand-new truck, The boat had a newly designed bow, the bottom of the boat had a new contour to it and a nice hole, and the motor had a sound, the sound of silence. Then the storm broke. All of the paper made in all of the paper mills in British Columbia that day would not have been enough to print the new and colorful adjectives, adverbs, nouns, and phrases that that man invented on the spot for that occasion. There was another interesting thing that happened. His burning desire to go fishing on opening day was totally quenched. He had no more interest in the sport whatsoever. When he drove slowly away from the lake, he looked like the loser in a destruction derby. When he left, I thought about all the new things this fellow had acquired in such a short time. There was the possibility of one more. He may have to go look for another wife when he gets home. I am sure that that fellow is absolutely convinced that there is evil in the world. There was nothing that could have gone worse for him, I don't think, that day. I think there's evil in the world too. Unfortunately, sometimes the evils that happened are truly tragic. You may have read the story this week about the two policemen in New York City. Both had been veterans of the force for over 15 years. They were called to a... A murder. It was more like an assassination. A worker from a company had decided that he was he'd had it up to here with another worker from the company, and he, he'd been let go. The fellow who ended up shooting was let go about a year before. Things continued to mount. He decided that he would do something about this, so he goes to work, and outside of the place of work, he kills his coworker, shoots him on the streets of New York. Then he turns around and starts walking off through the crowd in New York City. The police were called and two cops get there and they are able to to follow this guy. So they start following him through the crowd in New York City. And as they get ready to approach him, as they're following him, he suddenly turns around with a 45 caliber revolver and starts to shoot them. They, both of them, who had never used their firearms in duty or on duty before in their entire careers of over 15 years, both pulled their pistols. They shot the guy 10 times in the chest. And of course, he died. But there were nine people around them in the crowd, because there was such a a large crowd in the streets of New York, there were nine people who were hit by bullets on that day. Every bullet that hit them was from the policeman's revolvers. They were fragments of the bullets or whole bullets that actually hit other people. Nine people were hit. Now, as far as I know, none of those people died. But can you imagine the investigation that is going to go on? Can you imagine? These two guys have given their whole careers to being policemen in New York City, they have never had to pull their revolvers before. They end up having to kill someone on the very first time that they have to use them. And then when they do, nine innocent bystanders are hit, all of them by their bullets. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine a worse scenario. Like you would feel so terrible about having to shoot someone, about the repercussions, all of it. It's just terrible. And all because ultimately there is evil in our world. And sometimes that evil comes into our lives. It impacts us in a significant way. Now, it's not often that you and I come into direct contact with what we, we might describe as something satanic or demonic. That doesn't happen in my life very much. I, I can't think of a time when, when, I, when I thought to myself, this is demonic in the sense of, of real demonic presence. Maybe you have. I haven't experienced that. I remember one time being in a classroom with Michael Green, who was a professor from England. He was teaching at Regent College where I was a student. And I don't remember the subject of the day, but what I remember is him talking about how he was, he was at a dinner party. And it was a Christian dinner party that eventually would culminate in him sharing the gospel. And he got there a bit late after others had arrived. He walked into the room, and when he walked into the room, there was a fellow across the room who had been invited to the dinner party. And the moment that Michael walked into the room, the fellow began to shriek. And he talked in a strange voice, and he tried to avoid Michael's presence when Michael walked into the room. And I don't remember all that went on, during the course of the evening or or the other things really that Michael did with all of that, except I know that he described that as being in the presence of evil. His impression was that there was demonic possession going on and that he was observing that. Now, this is a fellow who is Oxford-trained, rational, sharp, not given over to just every whim of emotion that comes along and isn't going to be apt to just accredit things to evil or to demonic possession when it's simply not there. Michael's the kind of guy who would investigate those kinds of things. And that was his conclusion, that he was in the presence that day of evil. I remember once speaking with a missionary from Zambia who described for me how she was convinced that her ex-husband had put a curse on her. She'd found a dead chicken outside of her house that had been mutilated in a way that she thought indicated something other than it having been killed by a predator. And she'd been in Zambia long enough to know that curses and incantations were a part of life there on a daily basis. In fact, her ex-husband, eventually, who died of AIDS, she had been told by numerous people that there were people to whom he owed money who would put curses on him. And so this was just part of life, in one sense, for these people normally the closest I ever get to to overt evil presence is if I happen on a re-showing of The Omen or The Exorcist. Some of you are old enough to remember The Omen or certainly The Exorcist. It was such a big movie. I remember when I was a teenager when The Exorcist came out, I was just young enough that I wasn't allowed to go because the age limit didn't allow me to go. But I heard all the stories about Linda Blair in the bed screaming with the voices and all of that. Some of you no doubt saw that. and You remember that that movie I was old enough to see the omen with Gregory Peck and the child Damien, which of course means the devil, Satan. These kinds of things are phenomenon that we hear about and that sometimes become uh, almost uh, reach a celebrity kind of status in our society, and yet there's something inherently evil. With these things, of course. And I, I think about producing a movie where demonic possession and exorcism is the theme of the movie. Or the production of a movie where the uh, demon possession of a child is the whole theme of the movie. Now that's in itself, you just wonder, what are people thinking? But then society gets wrapped up in this. It becomes a, 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 you know, again almost a celebrity kind of thing. People want to go; they want to see this kind of movie. I don't, I can't think of uh, where this has happened sometime recently where there's been demonic possession or something satanic that's been the theme of a major motion picture. I'm sure it's happened. I just, you know, I'm not as into that as I was when I was 15 years old. But it's it's striking. That our world would be so open and so into that, willing to think about those kinds of things. Well, again, we, that's not our normal experience. October 31st rolls around. Christian parents have to think about what's appropriate costumes costumes for their kids on Halloween. Or whether or not their kids will participate, that's a question maybe that that faces us. When I was a kid, I just Halloween was just for me a time when I went around, and I got candy. In fact. Uh, when we were in Victoria and we had little children and we did participate in Halloween, the kids would go out and collect candy from the neighborhood, I noticed right away that that was the one time of the year when I got to see all my neighbors. Follow the kids around, go to door to door, and i meet everybody on the street. It was a community event. And there wasn't anything necessarily demonic or satanic or evil about that, for sure. But it was interesting to have people from other countries who would come to Canada or come to the United States and they weren't familiar with all of that and they couldn't figure out what in the world these Christians were doing participating in what seemed to them simply to be a demonic activity. Well, that's about as close as demon possession or something I'm, you know, to which I might come. We often see images of red-suited, black-horned men with a tail and a Van Dyke beard, but it's a lot more a cartoon than anything else. Most often the thoughts we have of Satan or evil have to do with our own temptation to sin. But even this sometimes we make light of. I remember, some again, some of you who are older are going to remember Flip Wilson. His famous line, The devil made me do it, he would say. He was playing the part of a Baptist deacon always on TV and talking about how the devil made him do it. It was just kind of made light of all the time. And then we read Bible stories to our children. That kind of puts us closer in touch with this kind of thing. How can you avoid the fact that there is a serpent in the garden when you read the creation story and he's trying to convince someone to sin? He's got a role to play. Who is he? Where does he come from? What kind of influence does he have in the world? And, of course, this ultimately leads to the fall of humankind. Maybe they, maybe your children ask you, Where does Satan come from, Mommy? Well, I don't know where Satan come from. Where does ultimate evil come from? It's a great question. We have some kind of hints in the Bible, but most of the time we're not very much in touch with all of that. So we don't think most of the time about the demonic. We don't think all the time about supernatural evil uh, or those things that would just so be, be so far away from God. But should we? And I would say that the answer is yes. And so here's a classical text, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be alert! And of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, this is interesting. Clearly, Peter sees Satan having a role in suffering. Certainly on the part of Christians, I think he's talking specifically here about persecution. But he sees this persecution as a result of Satan's interaction in our world and involvement in our lives and tells us specifically to be alert. And so we need to be thinking about this some and not just ignoring it or acting like it's not there. There needs to be some reflection on evil in our world aside from something just like Halloween. Or what about Job? We think about Job coming into the presence of, the God, of God, Job 1 tells us. It says the sons of God were coming into the presence of God and Satan was with them. And he comes in and asks God questions. And ultimately, the two of them, with God's permission, decide that Satan would have an opportunity to inflict great torment on this person, Job. Do you ever wonder if the bad things that happened to you are somehow related to Satan inflicting those kinds of things on you in the same way that he inflicted them on Job? What about the temptation of Jesus? Satan is directly active in the temptation of Christ. And we always talk about how Christ turns Satan away with reflections on Scripture, and he quotes Scripture and turns him away. But we don't often reflect as much on the fact that Satan is there tempting the Son of God, that he has the freedom to do so. If he's got the freedom to tempt Jesus as a human being, does he not have the freedom to tempt you and me? And I think that he does. And temptation to sin, of course, happens to us all. Where does the source of that temptation come from? Does it not somehow derive directly from that source of evil in our universe? And then, of course, there are those Episodes in the Gospels where Jesus is dealing with demon possession himself. Does demon possession happen today? I once had a woman who came to me, I've mentioned this before, would come to me for counseling who would say, every night around midnight I am raped by a demon. And then she would tell me on, about how on Sunday morning she spoke in tongues in church. I had some trouble with that trying to sort out exactly how the spirit was working in her and Satan was working in her at the same time. You wonder what exactly is going on. You know, I probably, at this point, I'd probably think that woman was probably mentally ill. But I wrestled with all of that. And then sometimes I wonder if ultimately we're a little bit too rational for our own good. Like it's so easy for us to kind of blow things off that we find unusual, illogical, that don't fit with our experience. And so if we haven't had much experience with demonic things or satanic things, then you just kind of say, well, that doesn't really happen. And it's probably just as easy to say about spiritual things, even good spiritual things, well, that doesn't really happen. If God is there, if he's real, if he works in our world, if he intercedes and there's intervention between the divine and our world, it doesn't seem strange to me that there would be intervention between the evil things and our world. And so I'm not sure that the rational approach that we sometimes take to these things is as productive as we might think it is. Satan, we might think, is for unenlightened people. I'm not sure that that's the case. In fact, I would say that there's room for us, in fact, to become spiritually enlightened ourselves about evil. And so just quickly here some things that I think we should think about when it comes to the presence of evil in our world. First, it may seem like it's a simple idea, but I do believe that there is evil in our world. I think that Satan, some evil force at least that we call Satan, that the Bible calls Satan, is alive in our world bringing Bad to us, wreaking havoc in some people's lives. Now, the f- trouble with when I say that is people will say, well, then all the bad things that happen to us are direct results of Satan's intervention. And God really isn't pr- protecting us at all. And of course, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that Satan seems to have an evil force, seems to have a certain freedom given to this force by God to enter in and intervene in our world and bring things that are bad. And when I reflect on all the bad that exists in the world, it makes sense to me that something like this is coming in and bringing the bad. You'll remember Genesis one twenty-seven says that God made male and he made female, and he looks at them ultimately in verse 31 and he says, this is very good. This is very good. And so we know that in our world, the things that have been created have God's stamp on them, that there's goodness about the things that have been created. Isn't it a little bit, at the very least, interesting, but striking, that these good things that God created so quickly went bad? Like it didn't take very long for the woman and the man to make some bad decisions. I think they were absolutely free to make those bad decisions, but they didn't make them completely on their own. There was a source of evil there in the garden helping them to make bad choices. And so while we're created very good, the Bible says, there's the opportunity for us to do things that are wrong. And we recognize this in our world. In fact, we know that's the case on a regular basis. Something is wrong when men shoot children with machine guns but it happens on a daily basis. Something is wrong when mothers and fathers harm or kill their own children. But we hear those stories. We read about them in the newspaper. Something is wrong when cultures hate other cultures and go to war against them just because they're different. And it happens all the time. Something is wrong when men make large amounts of money by addicting and enslaving others to drugs and prostitution. But it goes on around us everywhere and certainly in this neighborhood. Something is wrong when one of the biggest industries in the world is pornography. And it is. Something's wrong when we know and we have the capacity to eradicate hunger and famine in our world. But we simply don't. Because those who have a lot in the world don't care enough about the poor in the world. And it's simply the the case. We may have been made in the image of God, but that image has been distorted. It has been marred. And there is evil in our world. So it's a simple idea, but evil absolutely exists. Second thing I would say is this. We're stupid. And play into the hands of evil when we ignore him. And obviously, I'm saying him for a reason. It's not just an it. It's not just ignoring evil as an it. It's ignoring evil as a him. And so I think, to tell you the truth, I think that Satan is some kind of fallen angel. If someone was to ask me, what do you think is the source of Satan? What's the source of evil? I actually do think Satan's a fallen angel. I think that's the best explanation. The texts that are sometimes used for that in Scripture, which you can turn to these on your own sometime, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 are the two big ones, I don't think are very good texts for proving that Satan is a fallen angel. But I do think that it's likely that he is. So there's evil in the world. It has a direct cause. I would say freedom is part of that and that a fallen angel somehow was free and was able to make that choice. But one of the reasons... Why we are so stupid and play into this is because we're not tuned in as we should be to what's really going on in our world. We're way too rational. We're far too confident about our own abilities to solve things. We think that we have abilities that we really don't, and we can't always see what needs to be seen. Sometimes we're just too skeptical. And all the while, I think that Satan is using our rationalism and our skepticism and our so-called enlightenment to do what he wants and to keep us, in one sense, right where he wants us to be. And so this happens when we don't pray for God's Spirit to intervene in our world. It happens when when we're not as God-dependent as we should be. We fight evil on our own. At the human natural level because we don't give adequate place to its spiritual origin. And we ignore what the Bible says about the principalities and powers of a dark world. But these indeed deserve our attention. Look at this passage from Ephesians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says, that is our struggle. He's talking to Christians when he writes this. He says, our struggle is against these forces, not against flesh and blood. And you thought your struggle was just against some person who might tempt you. You thought your struggle was just against some person that did something you didn't like. You thought it was just their personality. It was just their way. It was just their being in the world. And Paul says, no, it's not just that. It's in fact a spiritual force that stands behind sin in our world and that makes us sometimes respond in ways that promote that evil or allow that evil to exist rather than doing something about it. For those of you who are addicted to something, and we hear about alcoholism being a genetic thing passed on or that it's an illness or all kinds of addictions uh, keep us under their hold. One of the things that you have to recognize in the midst of that is that this is a spiritual battle that's going on. This is not just a matter of, uh, you know, I just drink too much. I'm too tempted by drugs. Pornography is just the thing that tempts me. There is standing behind those temptations something demonic There's something that stands behind those that is satanic. And as long as the addiction has control over your life and you can't get out of it, and God help you, if you don't recognize the satanic background behind that, I'm not sure you're going to be able to effectively fight it. We have those who are here today who are very experienced with Alcoholics Anonymous and they could talk about the spiritual beginnings of that program. Alcoholics Anonymous started with someone who was a Christian, a Christian pastor, who decided they wanted to do something for alcoholics. And the 12-step program developed out of a recognition that there is, in fact, an uncontrollable element to addictions, that people can't control them. And part of what people can't control is the satanic, demonic, evil influence that stands behind those addictions and that works in people's lives. It's a spiritual battle, and we need to recognize that. And then the last thing I want you to understand, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We do all this talk about demonic forces this morning and we talk about Satan and evil and his presence in our lives and it sounds pretty grim. Is there any hope really for the addicted if Satan is after them? Is there really any hope for those of us who sin? If Satan is after us, he's tempting us, he's trying to drag us away. Is there really any hope? And of course the answer is, for all of us who know Jesus Christ, that indeed there is hope. Greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. And if it weren't for that, I don't know where I'd be. And if it weren't for that, I don't know where you'd be. Because if I have Satan, a roaring, prowling lion after me, I'm afraid that I'm too weak. I'm afraid that I can't do it. But praise God, I am not alone. I don't stand here by myself. I have the Lord Jesus Christ standing behind me, beside me, and His Spirit within me. And because He is, I have a victory that overcomes the world. Greater is He who's in me. And who's in you. That he who is in the world. And you are not alone. And so if you do have an addiction, you're not alone. And if you do sin, you're not alone. And if the things that are coming into your life are not pleasant, because Satan keeps tossing things in your way that are not good, and you're not enjoying all of that, you are not alone. Not only because God is with you, but because there are a whole church here of spirit-filled people who also have the spirit within them, and they're with you too. And God does not leave us alone. He doesn't leave us powerless. And ultimately, the power that he offers transcends the power of Satan. That's why Jesus can rise from the dead. Satan could try and keep him in the tomb, but he can't. And the resurrection shouts to us about his power and his victory and what he enables us to be in him. And so we have chances that pff, to overcome things we have power to overcome things. We have people to help us overcome things. And we are not alone. First John 5, 18 through 20. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Now at first when you read that you think, well that's not true. I continue to sin. And I'd like to think that I'm born of God. Well what he's trying to say here is that ultimately sin does not have total control Over a human being. God does, once they've given themselves to Jesus. The one who was born of God keeps him safe. So God Himself, Jesus His Son, keeps us safe in Him. And the evil one cannot harm us, it says. Now, again, you might think, well, of course He can. You just got done telling us that He can harm us. Well, indeed He can, but I'm talking about in an ultimate way. I'm talking about ultimately the person who stands in Jesus is going to stand strong because God is with him. Nothing can take us away from his hand. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. There is an incredible promise in that. An incredible promise to those who believe that Satan will not be able to take us away from God to take us out of his grasp and to ultimately inflict on us that which he can inflict to take us away from the Lord it can't happen god continues to be with us through all of that so do we sin yes do bad things still happen to christians yes first john 5 is not a guarantee about a perfect life for you the key concept here is control. And look at this line. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. And so yes, the world is under the control of the evil one, but are you? Does Satan have ultimate control over you? Not if you stand in Jesus our Lord. He does not have control over you. And the things that inflict your life, the addictions that might plague you, the sin that is there that you want to get rid of, those things can be defeated through the power of Christ and the presence of His Spirit in His children you will be tempted this week to ignore evil you're going to be tempted to pass over it to ignore it you're certainly going to be tempted to give in to it perhaps if you're addicted to something that's going to come I mean it could come in in an unusually powerful way because somebody has spoken on Sunday about the power to overcome it. And Satan, I guarantee you, will take that addiction and he will make that addiction more tempting this week because you heard on Sunday that it doesn't have to tempt you or it doesn't have to have control over you. God wants to see you power through, through his help, that temptation, but it will come. And so don't be ignorant of it when it does. Don't be blind. And for God's sake, don't think, You have no power over it because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Believe that. Let's pray. Lord God, there are people here today, maybe many people, including myself, who need to to reaffirm for ourselves your power within us. We need to to be brought home again to the truth that your spirit lives within us and controls us. And that the principalities and powers of this world, though they control the world, they don't control us. And that's because of you. Help us, God, to trust that truth. And, Father, I would pray that you would send your spirit in special ways to those this week who are going to be tempted, those who are going to be challenged. When Satan gets in the way of people's walk with you this week, God, I would pray you'd send your spirit to intervene. Be there for them. Empower them. Help them to understand what is there for them in you. And bring them through it. Help us, God, to be faithful to you that you might work in our lives in this way. We thank you for Jesus who makes it possible, and it's through him we pray. Amen.